G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story The last moments here on earth, I sing out hallelujah. I ran the good race, I fought the good fight, and I came out a winner in God's eyes and men. I do have a story to tell. I live now in peace and love. I pray that you will all know how I I valued and treasured you, treasured your love and friendship. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today is the conclusion of our three-part conversation with Pastor Mark Soper, sharing about his friend since childhood, Andrew Chan. As we've been hearing, as kids, Mark and Andrew attended Christian camps and spent holidays together. But sadly, Andrew's life would take a dark turn. And at 21 years old, he fell into the trap of trying to make some quick, easy money. Andrew was one of the Bali Nine that were arrested in 2005 for attempting to smuggle heroin out of Indonesia. But Mark also shared how Andrew gave his life to the Lord and had an incredible, fruitful ministry for the 10 years he was in the Bali prison. Sadly, that all came to an end when Andrew was executed on the 29th of April 2015. Now, here's more of Mark Soper sharing with Eric Scadabo about his friend. Now, the newspaper reports say that when he was executed, he was singing, well, first singing Amazing Grace. Yeah. And then also 10,000 Reasons. Yeah. They managed to uh, finish the first verse of the song. Mm. Yeah, so that they were singing that as they were tied up. And um, when my dad came back, he had lost his voice. And I couldn't understand why. My dad never talked about it for a couple of years. And then eventually we sort of found out why he lost my voice because when um, they were sort of, you know, tied up ready for execution, um, they were singing that song. And my dad was, my dad could hear, uh, he couldn't see, but he could hear Andrew and, and them singing. And he was singing, he was singing so loud that he knew Andrew could hear him. Oh, I see. And, um, and so he was singing loud so that they knew that they were there and each other. And then, hmm. and so, I don't know, my dad would never talk about this. That's sort of a beautiful thing that in, in spite of whatever he's going to face, he wasn't scared of dying. He, was, he knew where he was going. And it sort of, if anything, encouraged me that um, my daughter said something beautiful one day. She says, Daddy, when we get to heaven, will we get to see Andrew? <laughs> hmm. And... Um, you know, I, I believe one day we'll, he'll be there and I'll be there and um, oh, it'll be good to see him. And on that day when my strength is failing The end draws near and my time has come Still my soul will sing your praise unending So sadly, Andrew was executed on the 29th of April 2015 by a firing squad on that uh, execution island in Indonesia. And then a while later was the funeral back here in Australia. And Andrew asked you 
to read the eulogy that he had written. How did that yeah. come about? Well, we were previously talking that um, a pastor was able to be with him at the end, and it was talked that maybe I would be there or whatever, but it was obviously best that my dad was there. Mm-hmm. And um, he sort of asked me to do that, um, and which I was more than happy to do, and that's sort of how it came about, yeah. Now, would you like to read the final part of that eulogy, just to kind of let our listeners know what was on Andrew's mind in his final moments? This is what he wanted to leave the world knowing about him. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll read it here. It is to treat each day as a diamond, for each day is valuable as you can never buy it back. Learn to use it doing things you love. Spend it with the people you care for most, because we just never know when we say goodbye. And then it continued on. It says, The last moments here on earth, I sing out hallelujah. I ran the good race. I fought the good fight. And I came out a winner in God's eyes and men. I do have a story to tell. And that story is determined by you all and how you witness me. Ask yourself, what did I leave with you? That will determine my legacy. I leave now in peace and love. I pray that you will all know how I've I valued and treasured you, treasured your love and friendship. As you all leave here today, who will you witness to today? Love, Andrew Chan. Wow. His final moments, he's concerned about others sharing their faith. Yeah. But that's who he became. Yeah. um... (laughs) Sorry. To be honest, Eric, I don't talk about this much. But, um, yeah. I just I feel blessed, really, to have known Andrew and, and to go through that process and, and to journey with him. What other things come to your mind when you think back to the funeral? I think about how, at the funeral, I think about how Andrew brought so many people together. It was never about, you know, a denomination or a, it was a, always about the church, capital C. Mm-hmm. And it was never about this or that. And he was, he was a master of bringing people together. Um, like even Hillsong, Hillsong Church, they hosted the thing, hosted host the service. They couldn't be more helpful and thoughtful. And, yeah, and it was you know, packed. Like, yeah, that's right. I mean, they like had people welcoming, and mate, they were just amazing. And they copped, I think, a little bit of flack from the media, but they just like they just said, "Oh, we can help. Let us know." And and they just opened up. They just rolled out the the red carpet really, and just were phenomenal in in assisting and helping. And I mean, everyone in the during the service were all people that knew Andrew. The people you know worshiping and the singing and. They were all sort of his sort of family and close friends, and yeah. Now, tell us about his parents. Obviously, they had gone through so much through all of this. I mean, it must yeah. have really hurt them. Tell us about his yeah. parents. Um, Kel and Helen are amazing people, hard, hard workers. Um, did what they thought, you know, they could do for their kids is work and provide for them and, you know, keep a roof over their head and that sort of stuff. So, but... The pain and anguish a parent goes through having young kids myself now, I don't think we can ever comprehend that. You know, 
I can remember um, on the night that he was executed, I was my mum and myself were actually with the chains and we're at the house. Mm. And um, I can still remember the, you know, just the cries and the weeping, just a, a parent that just lost the son. And you can't fathom that loss. Um, no, but one thing no. that Andrew, you know, always wanted before, you know, what's one thing I can do for you? He goes, make you know, he, he always wanted his parents to come to faith, you know, and come to know Jesus. And that happened um, for a number of circumstances, but eventually they came to faith and they're part of a Christian church, a mm-hmm. Chinese church, and very much have been included in, in their body of sort of, um, body of Christ, which is, which brought a lot of joy to Andrew. And, he, you know, it was such a, um, a blessing for him to know that when he was, you know, at his final, final moment. Wow, that's fantastic. Anything else about his legacy that you'd want to share with us today? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure exactly, you know, what to share about his legacy other than that, you know, live each day as your last. And I think whatever you have, use it. And that's what Andrew did. Like, you know, he was limited in some capacities, but yet he impacted so many people just from the person that he was. And, you know, um, and I think he was always willing to put himself out there. But but I, generally, uh, I think um, the main thing, I think, is I think just when you love people, um, you can change the world. And when you love people with Jesus at the centre, it impacts eternity, you know. So that's sort of what I sort of, um, you know, I remember him as a, as a more a brother than probably anything. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So finally... Anything else you'd like to share, Mark, about the lives that Andrew has touched? Like I mentioned about Rafan, um, it just seems like this. So, like, three three months out from his execution, um, I had a lady at church, and she was, you know, at work and didn't really... Just, just a, a situation where she was just overwhelmed and, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life and whatever. And it was just that time I thought, oh, actually... I'd love Andrew to contact her, and Andrew made contact with her. Wow! And um, and she was in a high pressure job, and you know, working full time and all this. And Andrew made contact with her, and and after that, she, you know, she resigned from a job and or stripped back to two or three days a week, and just I don't know, wanted to get back to, you know, what it's all about, and just deeply impacted on. But like, you could rattle it off with just people after people. Like it was just there's so many people that he just just had time for invested in or encouraged um yeah it's hard to sort of put it down to sort of one individual or person mm-hmm. um a short life too short but yet yeah. it sounded like he really made the most of it yeah yeah um he did make the most of it and, and that's sort of what you know he, he fits so much in such a short life and it sounds like his legacy will continue for years and years to come and only in heaven will he really know the lives that he touched. Yeah, I mean... Well, he knows that, already. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, and that's the reality um, for, to him. And, it's, you know, I think he'd like to think it's not his legacy. It's, it's, it's God's legacy, you know. It's mm. um, the legacy for Christ. And, and I think that's what... I think, you know, we live as, live as best we can today for Jesus. And I think the rest takes care of itself. Amen. Pastor Mark Sopa, thank you so much for sharing with us today. No worries. Thanks for having me.
You're listening to The Story. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Pastor Mark Soper about the short but fruitful life of his childhood friend Andrew Chan, who was one of the Barley Nine. Next, Eric will chat with a good mate of Mark's, Dave Reardon, who also went to Bali to meet Andrew. We'll find out about the impact Andrew had on Dave's life when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today is the conclusion of our three-part series focusing on the short but fruitful life of Andrew Chan, who was one of the Bali Nine, and sadly, he was executed in April of 2015. Before the break, Andrew's childhood friend Mark Soper shared about the funeral. Now, Mark's friend Dave Reardon tells us how he came to know Andrew as well. Joining us on the telephone from the east side of Melbourne is a former journalist who has now gone into ministry, Dave Reardon. Welcome to the program. Uh, g'day, Eric. Uh, thanks for that. Glad to have you with us, and you're a good friend of Mark Sopa. Yes, yes. Mark and I have been uh, great mates for many years, uh, from back in my Sydney days when we were living in Sydney. And, uh, you know, both mad keen football fans hmm. as well as... Uh, love uh, what we're doing in ministry so yes uh, a good guy to have on your side and it was through mark that you eventually got to meet andrew chan can you tell us how that came about yes look it was a real surprise to me to be honest um mark is uh, an interesting guy in that he doesn't uh, big note himself ever so i was uh, great friends with him for a number of years before i invited him I said, would you come and speak at uh, the young adults ministry that i was running at the time and um, we were chatting, and I said, what do you want to speak about? And he says, well, why don't I talk about my friend Andrew, Andrew Chan, from the Bali Nine? I said, well, yes, please, tell me more. You didn't know that he even knew Andrew, is that right? He just didn't make a big deal of it. He was, I'll tell you this because he won't tell you himself, but mm. uh, under his own steam, out of his own pocket, was flying uh, up to Bali every few months, every holiday available, was going there to support him. You know, so sort of when I found out about this, I said, look, you've got to, you've got to tell us more. And it was on that night he came, he shared, and um, I was really touched just as, as uh, Mark shared his close relationship, friendship, and the way that he and Mark's brother had uh, been able to really influence Andrew to, to become the, the great man that he became. And I said to Mark, look, can we get in touch with Andrew and let's see if it'll be okay. I just I just really strongly felt that I wanted to get up there and talk to him myself. As a journalist, it made my you know, my journo senses tingle. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think as a Christian, I just wanted to see firsthand this hard, angry, violent young guy who we, that's the story we knew. Hmm. I yeah. wanted to see a life transformed. And so that was actually my driving force. My motivation mm-hmm. was to get up there. Now, I shared it with my best mate, Dave, and he said, I want to come as well. And so the three of us went up there, Mark, Dave, and Dave, mm. and uh, we flew in, and it was as quick as that. We were there quick. I can't exactly remember how long it was, but 
within a month or two. Mm-hmm. We were up there, and uh, after going through all the processing and everything, it was we were sitting on a dirt floor in Caribbean Prison, across from Andrew, and he just began to tell us our story. But he welcomed us. It was it was amazing. He was like an old friend. There mm. was a, an affinity, a brotherhood of of us, these youngish <laughs> ministers from Australia just connecting almost instantly with this Hmm. affable, lovable, lively young guy who his eyes were, you know, just alive with God. Hmm. He he knew he had a job to do when he wanted to get out of prison, of course. But what a lesson in life that this is, right? He wasn't waiting for things to get perfect before he got about his father's business. He was changing the prison from the inside out. How is he doing that? Oh, remarkable. In prison, it's a completely different prison system, of course, but you've got to pay for your own food. They don't supply food. They might give you a little, a cup of rice every couple of days. But So he and Asakamari, the other high-profile guy who was also executed, the two of them, they were finding ways to fundraise for other prisons. Mm-hmm. So they were fundraising to buy food for other prisoners who were disabled or had no one there to bring them food. Uh, Andrew was, he was just sharing his faith with hard guys, you know, hard Mm. criminals. He seemed to be able to cross the different um, faith barriers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he was working with guys from all different faiths, talking about God. He was running the church service there which was, you know, this packed church service. He was just in people's lives. And then, of course, working with the other members of the Bali Nine, uh, mm-hmm. some of whom Andrew had actually been the one that recruited them to their criminal activities and their current situation. And uh, I guess in the way that he recruited them to that, he then set about trying to make their lives better, make their lives more comfortable. I don't know if he felt he owed it to them or if he just came out of his big personality that mm. he wanted to do whatever he could within the confines of Karabakan prison. He wanted to make a difference. So you, before this, you just knew about Andrew from what you heard on TV about being a convicted drug smuggler, of a course. bad guy. But then course, you met him. Of course, him. and like everybody, we, we hear Bali Nine, we hear kids, we hear see a couple of pictures of these rough-looking characters and you roll your eyes and you think, oh, drug smugglers, you know, mm-hmm. what were they thinking? Don't you know Indonesia has these laws? You know, I think like a lot of Aussies yeah. thought, well, they got what they deserved. And so for me, it was just, it was a great learning moment that people's lives can change. But this is what I saw. I saw a guy who was a drug smuggler but is now a great character, an incredible young man whose life is completely different. He is an Mm -hmm. asset to that prison. He's an encouragement to everybody that he meets. And our great hope was that he would be released from prison and would one day go on and show people exactly that, that you Mm -hmm. can have a rough upbringing, meet God face-to-face, and go on and have an incredible life for him. It's biblical, isn't it? Isn't mm-hmm. that yeah. Saul meeting 
Christ on the Damascus Road and ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament as Paul the Apostle. That was Andrew's story, and, and that's the story of a myriad of people mm. all over the world. So as we look at Andrew's short but fruitful life, the beginning of it is kind of a cautionary tale. Don't let this happen to you. Don't do something foolish and end up in jail and having a prison sentence and having a execution hanging over your head. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and he would say that. Mm-hmm. And he said it to anyone and everyone, whether he wrote letters, whether he did interviews, whether he did it face-to-face. He was saying, don't follow my path. He admitted it. He, he was open about it. He said, we just went for easy money. We could have done other things. We could have worked hard. We could have studied. We could have, but we went for easy money and look at us now. Mm. And so he fessed up to his crimes. He was very open about that, very repentant about that. Mm. Uh, and I don't think he would ever want anybody to follow his path. Having said that, the thing that I loved about Andrew was that he just got about turning it for good. Mm. Yep. He said, well, this is my current situation. I'm not going to wallow in despair. I'm going to make the best of this. And from what I saw, the many years he had in prison there, he made the best of it to the point where the governor of the prison wrote to the Indonesian government saying, please do not kill these young men because they make this prison better. These guys make my job so much easier Mm. and I'm concerned about what will happen if we rip that positive influence out of the prison community. That's a fairly massive endorsement. So he was having a positive influence in the prison, but also, as Mark was sharing with us, he had a positive influence on people outside of the prison, even in Australia, writing letters. Like, he he wrote a letter to you as well. He did, he did. He wrote uh, the day before he was executed. Uh, wrote me a letter, and it was just very gracious. Hmm. Um, and he thanked me for praying for him and for hmm. supporting him and for, in my own way, being vocal and encouraging people to, you know, we were signing petitions and we were writing letters and we were trying to get clemency, I guess, Mm -hmm. for these young men. And and in the end, that didn't happen. And that's that's life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Many times we work hard, we have a vision, we dream of something, we even pray for it, we believe for it. And when that thing doesn't happen, it can be really tough to process. But yeah, Andrew had written me this beautiful letter and he was amazed at the support and the unity that had been generated as people of uh, different, uh, across the denominations, the Christian denominations, and, and, and people from a secular background, politicians, influencers had, had come together to say, let these boys show that the Indonesian prison system works, that you are able to reform criminals into great, upstanding citizens. And Mm. unfortunately, we were never able to see that played out. It doesn't mean that what was achieved in those years is null and void. It it Mm -hmm. was still remarkable and still goes on to this day. And can you share some of that letter with us? I'll just read a little bit here. I've got it in front of me. It says, uh, As for me, I have stood firm in my Creator, knowing He has the last say. I have seen that I'm more precious to him than a bird and that he has my photo 
in his heavenly wallet. He's summarising Matthew ten twenty six to 30 there. Uh, I continue to seek him and allow his characteristics and image to just melt over me. We are like a chick inside the shell. We cannot see what is beyond the shell, for we have yet to enter. However, God tells me that there are greater things when that shell cracks. And he says, hope all is well with you. Uh, Speak soon. Be blessed, Andrew. And I guess we know that when the shell cracked, he entered the greatest moment of his existence, which is he entered into the full presence of God. And so what he was writing there is, I know that my time is coming to an end, Mm. but I embrace it and we can fight and claw to hang on to what we think is the best way forward. But in fact, God has something remarkable outside this shell, and then the shell cracks. And finally, what do you think his lasting legacy will be? Oh, I think Andrew's impact on people. We, we don't know the testimonies of the people in the prison who were radically influenced, that, that full little church, the, the Muslim brothers who... Uh, found Jesus through him. We we don't know their names and we don't know their stories, but God does. We don't know so many of the stories of, of influence of people like myself, just people who dropped in to visit. I, mm-hmm. I've heard about footballers and people who don't overtly profess to have faith in God, but they dropped in because of his profile, because something of his story touched them and they just said, can I visit this guy? And it, it's mm-hmm. a strange old prison. You can drop in and visit people. And because they're they're bored. They're happy to talk to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are so many lives touched out of this. And then even the funeral, you know, the funeral mm-hmm. being yeah. streamed and telecast live as God was given all the glory for a life changed in the most glorious way. And I think that's the remarkable legacy mm-hmm. is that Andrew's testimony of a really bad, hard guy who was radically changed and had many years for people to poke holes in it and say it's not real, he's just trying to like get clemency or the like. But the remarkable work and legacy that he left in the lives of people continues to roll out. That That's a testimony and a, a legacy that will last forever, really. Mm, yeah. Dave Reardon, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thanks, Eric. God bless. That was Dave Reardon sharing about the impact Andrew Chan had on his life and the lasting impact Andrew's had on so many other people as well. I think it's amazing that in Andrew's final days before his execution, he still took time to write and encourage others. It was very powerful what Andrew wrote in his letter to Dave when he said, I have seen that I am more precious to God than a bird and that God has my photo in his wallet. And of course, Andrew was alluding to Matthew chapter 10, where it says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
Well, thanks for joining us for this three-part series focusing on the short but fruitful life of Andrew Chan, one of the Bali Nine. There's so much that we can learn from what went wrong and what went right in his life. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.